Let me ask you to open up to the book of Romans in chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to read this morning verses 3 through 8. Romans 12 verses 3 through 8. And then our focus will be on verses 6 through 8. But we're going to start in verse 3. So Romans 12 verse 3. This is what we find in the Word of God. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, Uh, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Well, we need to begin this morning with the major point of this passage, and here it is. A very important part of living a life of worship to God is using your spiritual gifts to serve your brothers and sisters in a local church. So let me say that again. This is, this is the main oomph of the passage, okay? A very important part of you living your life as a life of worship to God is for you to use the spiritual gifts God has given you to serve your brothers and sisters in the life of a local church. Now, I don't have to tell you how strange that sounds to modern American ears because the prevailing notion in our day is I don't need the church to live a life of worship to God. My relationship with God is just that. It's my relationship with God. And I can serve God in my family, and I can serve God in my workplace. I can serve Him by helping out in this cause that I love, or or I can serve Him by simply not being as bad as other people around me are. But my life of worship to God is mine, and I'll worship God how I want to worship Him. Thank you very much. But Romans 12 comes after we've been staggered by God's mercy in Romans 1 through 11. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life, church. Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we were, we were on death row. We were just waiting for our execution, an eternity in that place called hell. And then God saved us. God rescued us. 
And now in light of that mercy, Paul is telling us how to honor our redeeming God. He says that we're to give ourselves as living sacrifices. So it doesn't matter how I want to live. It doesn't matter how I think my life should look. I honor God by trusting God. I honor God by putting my life on the altar and saying, God, do with my life what you will. It's not mine any longer. Father, it's yours. I am yours. A Christian is a person who has discovered that there is greater joy, peace, and security in submitting to God than in continuing to rebel against Him. And so here's the thing. When Paul begins to teach us what God wants from us, when we put ourselves on the altar and said, I'm going to be a living sacrifice, tell me, Lord, how to live a life of worship to you, this is where he begins, in a local church. Romans 12 is extremely practical. Paul teaches us very practically how to live a life that worships God. And yet here's the amazing thing about this chapter. It's almost entirely about your relationship to other Christians. The assumption of Romans 12 is that your life as a Christian is bound up in the life of other believers. So friend, I I don't know what plans you have for the rest of your life. But here is God's will for your life. He calls you to live a life of worship to Him by giving yourself in a life of service to other people. Christians. So here is my question for you. Do you share God's vision for your life? Is His will for your life your will for your life? You see, serving others through spiritual gifts in a local church, it's at the center, not the periphery, it's at the center of God's plan for you. So is it at the center of your own thinking? How much of your mental energy, how much of your emotions, how much of your time is devoted to this? Mount Hermon, God's vision for you is a joyful vision. It's a vision that surrounds you with community. Whatever relationships you may or may not have outside of this body You have a family here. In the local church, you are to have a family that loves you unconditionally. In the local church, you're to have a family that will weep with you and rejoice with you. A family that will point you time and time again to the comforts of God. The encouragements of His Word. A family that frankly loves you enough to tell you the truth, even when it's unpleasant. We are to be a family people. So are you building your life around that pattern? Or is church and the relationships that you have here, is that simply on the margin of your life? People worry sometimes about missing God's will for their lives. Well, friend, if you are disconnected from the genuine fellowship found in the life of a local church, you are missing God's revealed will for your life. Because texts like this make it very clear. 
this is what he intends for us. Okay, so I'm supposed to worship God by being actively involved in serving his people in a local church through spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? How do I know what my spiritual gifts are? And how do I use them? Three questions that just spring naturally from these verses, right? What are spiritual gifts? How do I know my spiritual gifts? And once I know them, how do I use them? We're going to tackle two of those questions this morning. And we'll save the last question for next time. So number one, what are spiritual gifts? And I'm going to give you one attempt at an answer, and I put it in the bulletin on the sermon notes page because it was a lot to write, and I know some of you take notes, and I don't want you trying to write out this, this whole thing. So it's there in your sermon notes page. So let me read it to you, and then we'll look at some of its pieces. Spiritual gifts are gifts of God's grace to His children so that they can find joy in blessing others for His glory. They are acts of service carried out by the Christian in faith, humility, and love, which the Holy Spirit regularly empowers and makes fruitful for the building up of God's people. All right, so let's take some parts of that answer. So number one, spiritual gifts are gifts of God's grace. So do you see the word gifts in verse 6? You see that word gifts in verse 6. It's the Greek word charismata, from which we get the word charismatic. So everybody say charismata. Every Christian is a charismatic. That is, all believers are charismatics in that we've all received charismata. That is, gifts from God. And that's what that word emphasizes, that these gifts are gifts. Indeed, they are gracious gifts. The word charis in charismata means grace. So spiritual gifts are not something you can earn. You can't achieve spiritual gifts on your own. You can't go to college and learn spiritual gifts. You can't go be an apprentice to somebody and learn a spiritual gift. God certainly works through means, but at the end of the day, ultimately, our spiritual gifts are given to us by our loving Father as an expression of grace. Spiritual gifts are graciously given gifts of love from your Father to you. And here's what makes them so wonderful. They are given to us so that we can have the privilege of having special ways to express our love to God. God does not need us in our gifts. Frankly, God could bless your brothers and sisters in Christ without you and without me. But God delights in giving, God delights in serving, and He gives us the joy of joining with Him in that endeavor. So, your life in Christ is given a special purpose as God uniquely equips you, as God uniquely gifts you, and then says, love me by loving my people through your gifts. Right? 
The body has many members. Every member has its own function. You have something about you that's unique. This is our second point. Spiritual gifts are given that we can find joy in blessing others for God's glory. So do you see how each one of the gifts that Paul lists here assumes that somebody's being served? Uh, People are benefiting. People are being blessed by that gift. So someone is receiving the prophecy. Someone is being served. Someone is hearing the teaching. Someone is being exhorted. So the person who has the spiritual gift gets the joy of serving the one who receives the benefit of that gift. All right, here's the reality. This entire world is a father-son project. One day, the whole physical world is going to be taken away, and a new heavens and a new earth will be built. But do you remember the illustration we've used many times of the workshop? The entire world, its history, it's a workshop in which the father and the son are working together through the Spirit to create for themselves a people. There is a special people, a redeemed people, a people who are being created to rejoice eternally in the goodness and the wisdom and the mercy of God. And once that people is built, once that kingdom is built, the workshop will no longer be needed. That workshop will be burnt, thrown away, and the kingdom will be placed in a new heavens and a new earth where God the Father and God the Son will dwell with these people forever. Well, Mount Hermon, you cannot imagine the joy of the Father and the joy of the Son as they honor each other and love each other and work together on this great project. Because everything the Father is doing is to honor the Son. And everything the Son is doing is to honor the Father. And they are together in mutual delight, mutual happiness. A happiness deeper than the Marietta Trench. A happiness that is stronger than an F5 tornado. A happiness that is more glorious than the fireworks on the 4th of July. There are no words we can use to express the height, the depth, the breadth, of the joy that the Father and the Son experience in blessing one another through this great project. And here's the thing. Through spiritual gifts, you get to participate in that joy. Part of what the Father and Son are doing right now is caring for and loving the people of God that are on earth today. Father and Son are working together to make the Christians on earth look more like Jesus, to make their light shine a little brighter, to make them holy. And the Father and the Son have chosen not just to love you, not just to save you, not just to bring you into their blessed relationship, but Father and Son has chosen to to allow you to remain on this earth a little longer to be in the workshop with them, and for you to participate in their joyful project. They have chosen to do some work through you for the building up of your brothers and sisters. Assuming that you share the joy of God the Father and Christ the Son in seeing people miraculously changed by the power of God, what a privilege. What an awesome thing 
that we get to be a part of building the kingdom. That we get to be a part in helping each other become more and more like the glorious Son of God. Third part of our definition. Spiritual gifts are given for the building up of God's people. So go way back to Exodus. Just think about this. Way back in that book, God commanded his people, Israel, in the wilderness to build a tabernacle for him. He would dwell in power in this tent. That's what the tabernacle was. It was a tent. And it was to be a special tent, an elaborate tent, a tent of fine materials, a tent of fine workmanship. But how would the Israelites make such a structure for God? Well, listen to the beginning of Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. In other words, how did God cause this first house to be made? He gifted his people by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, he gave these people abilities. He said that he gave the able men, the men who were healthy and able to work, he said he gave them abilities, gifts that they would need to do the job. So also... Here in these New Testament days, we are told that the church of Christ is a great temple that God is building. And you and I are living stones in this great temple, but we're not just the stones, we're also the workers. And we are called and equipped in a unique way to participate in building up the church of God. Pastors are not the main workers in God's house. Pastors are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But the ministry, the service of building up the body of Christ, that belongs to the saints. That belongs to all who are Christians, you and me together. Jesus is the head of the church. And one of the ways that he exercises his headship is by working through his spirit to give our church exactly the gifts we need, through the people that he has brought here among us. Our Jesus is a wise manager. He's the head of the construction crew, and we are the workers. He knows the blueprint of what he is creating in every local church, and he gifts us and he equips us so that through us, the church is being built up in all love and all faith and all godliness. So... Clearest teaching on spiritual gifts in the entire Bible is found in 1 Corinthians 12. Just one verse, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, your spiritual gift has been given to you to be used for the good of others in this room. Do you know that about yourself? Do you understand that that's part of why you're here? 
And that's what it means to belong to a body. The very first statement we have about spiritual gifts in the entire Bible is in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And listen to what Paul writes there. He says, I long to see you, speaking to the Christians in Rome, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So here we clearly see the purpose of spiritual gifts. First, Paul says he would like to be with the Romans, that through some spiritual gift he might strengthen them. Mount Hermon, when you're using your spiritual gifts, your brothers and sisters should be getting stronger. The faith of this church should be getting stronger. Love in this church should be getting stronger. Obedience to Jesus should be getting stronger. If we as a church and as individual Christians in this church would faithfully use our spiritual gifts to serve one another, how strong this church could be. Satan fears the church where spiritual gifts are active. Mighty oaks of the faith are formed in churches where spiritual gifts are active. Paul says in that first chapter of Romans that he desires for the Romans and himself to be mutually encouraged through their gifts. Have you ever noticed how being around genuine believers who love each other and are using their gifts to care for each other results in greater love and joy towards Christ among everybody? When you're using your gifts and I'm using my gifts and we're serving each other, there is a mutual encouragement. There is a mutual strengthening that takes place. I'll mention just one more verse to you, very clear on the purpose of spiritual gifts. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So your gifts are a stewardship from God to you. And how should you use them? To serve one another. What is God's will for your life? How does God teach you to worship Him? How do you express your joy at having been saved by the blood of Jesus? This is where Paul goes. Serve one another to the gifts that God has given you. Fourth part of our definition, note that spiritual gifts are given to God's children. That is, Paul is writing to believers in Romans 12. And his assumption seems to be that all of the believers who hear this letter read have spiritual gifts to use. In other words, there is no notion anywhere in the New Testament of such a creature as a Christian with no spiritual gifts. You won't find one. There's no notion of that in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is sovereign in the distribution of gifts. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts how He pleases, to whom He pleases. Sometimes, particularly in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming on unbelievers, even wicked men, and giving them gifts that they use, and we see them prophesying or serving God in some way. I mean, look, the Spirit came upon a donkey and used him. Right? I mean, he can use anybody. 
the Spirit has the freedom to give gifts to any person He chooses, to any degree He chooses. But the teaching of the New Testament seems to be that all Christians have received spiritual gifts. Note in verse 6 that we're not all gifted the same way, right? We have differing gifts. And gifts can differ in their nature, Uh, The gift of administration, the gift of service, the gift of generosity, the gift of uh, prophecy. But they can also differ in their degree, right? So somebody may be really gifted in hospitality. And someone may be unusually gifted, but not to the same degree. I agree with those who think it is very likely that each Christian's combination of gifts and degree of giftedness is unique. That, that is, I don't think there's another Christian in the world that has exactly the same gifts to the exact same degree as you. Like your fingerprint, I think your spiritual giftedness is unique. I think you are a unique Christian, a unique stone in the temple of God. But I can't prove that biblically, so that's just my guess. Okay, But that's what I think. Have you ever wondered why personal evangelism comes so much more easily to some people than others? Or have you ever noticed that some people just seem to be really discerning? They can take an issue and they just cut right through it and they get straight to the the core and they can perceive what's right or wrong. And you think, boy, I wish I was like that. We have to remember that Christians are gifted differently. And that while you're probably stronger than another Christian in one area, it's likely that he or she is more gifted in another area. So Calvin made the point that it's almost like different musical instruments that make different musical sounds. A church is like an orchestra. And we've all been given the ability to play a role. Not everybody plays the same instruments equally well. But when each person is doing what he or she is best at, and the Lord Jesus is conducting, the result is something that is very beautiful and very harmonious. We are different in our gifts, but as we work together to bless one another, Christ is honored, the world is reached, the kingdom is built. Uh, Let me stress another point, namely, that many of the spiritual gifts are acts that all Christians have been commanded to do. So look at our list here. Paul speaks in this list of a gift of service. He speaks in this list of a gift of generosity. He speaks in this list of a gift of acts of mercy. Well, Mount Hermon, all of us are called to serve. All of us are called to be generous. All of us are called to perform acts of mercy. Don't use a lack of spiritual gifting as an excuse to be disobedient in those areas. Don't say, well, I just don't really have the gift of acts of mercy, so I'm not going to do that. No. We are to look to those around us who excel in those areas, and we're to be strengthened by them, and we're to learn from them. One of the reasons God especially gifts us is so that we can be means that the Spirit uses to help others improve and flourish in those same areas. I think it's extremely instructive that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 to pursue all the gifts. 
Do you know that he said that? 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. If you know you're weak in the area of serving or giving or discernment or encouragement or in any other area, you're not supposed to just say, oh well. You're supposed to pray for God to bless you with more grace and greater gifting. You're to go to God about those areas where you are weak and ask that he would help you to excel in them. And you're to do this not for your own glory, but because you want to be a better help to the people around you. Father, sister so-and-so is going through this trial. I want to give her wisdom. I really lack wisdom. Will you give me gifting and wisdom so I can help her? Father, this brother over here, oh, he is in great need. And I know he needs my help, but Father, I feel the hardness of my heart, how I cling to the possessions you've given me. I'm so slow to release them to help my brother. Father, would you give me the gift of generosity? Help me be more free with my possessions to help my brother. You see, it's not about us. It's about us living our lives to serve God by serving our brothers and sisters. Okay, let me briefly address the second question. It's a question that many Christians struggle with. It's a very normal question. What is my spiritual gift? I want to have my role. I want to serve. What is my spiritual gift? I'm just going to offer a few words of advice on answering this question. Number one, recognize that nowhere does the Bible teach that a Christian only has one gift. Nowhere does the Bible say that a Christian only has one spiritual gift. In fact, as we just read, Paul encourages us to pursue all the gifts. He tells us to desire all the gifts. Don't limit yourself to one and just pigeonhole yourself and say, all right, service is my gift, and you neglect everything else. Moreover, do not believe what some teach, that every gift you'll ever have is received at conversion. So there's this teaching that says that when you believe on Christ, the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts, and those are the only gifts you're going to have the rest of your life. What you're good at when you get converted, that's it. That's what the Lord's going to bless in you. No. As you grow in Christ, your gifting will change and hopefully increase. There would be no reason to go praying and seeking more gifts if you couldn't get any more. Right? By God's grace, you may receive more gifts tomorrow than you have today. And you may become stronger in the ones that you already have. Number two, don't fret over trying to name your gift. Don't fret over trying to name your gift. Why? Because in different parts of the New Testament, different lists of gifts are mentioned and none of them match. And none of them are a complete list. Nowhere are Christians called to be able to name their gifts. In fact, that's not our main problem, according to the New Testament. Our main problem is learning to have hearts of love that want to bless others. If we get that right, if we get a heart of love that wants to bless others, God will guide us into those areas in which He's chosen for us to be able to to give particular benefit. 
In other words, I think if you went to Paul, he said, Paul, I'm really struggling to name my gift. I think he would say, spend your time looking for ways to serve, not trying to name your gift. And then third, that being said, as you seek to bless others, as you seek to love others, keep an eye out for what God does seem to particularly bless. So when you try and encourage someone, do they actually leave encouraged? When, when you're giving, does your giving and the way you give set an example for others? Has your ability to be able to discern truth from error been a help in the lives of other believers in this church? When you speak to others about Jesus, do they tend to particularly listen, and pay attention, and respond with interest? In other words, look at the ways that you serve in this church and ask, in which areas do I see God particularly blessing? You may want to ask others in this church, what is it in my life that you see that's been a particular blessing to you? What is it that you see in me that causes you to love Jesus more, to trust Jesus more, to want to be more obedient to Jesus? Others can often help you identify your gifts better than yourself. Because they can tell you how they've benefited from you. And then once you have that information, fan the flame of that gift by putting it all the more to use. Keep doing everything God calls you to do. Keep trying to do all of the gifts. But those areas where you've, you've figured out, I seem to just have a particular blessing of God here, fan that flame. Go at it full throttle. Now, I hope you see that verses 6, 7, and 8 in Romans 12 are not mainly about defining the gifts. And they're not mainly about identifying our gifts. 6, 7, and 8 are about how to use our gifts. The way we are to use our spiritual gifts. And so that's our remaining question. How do we use our gifts in a way that will bring blessing to God and true benefit to our brothers and sisters? And so that's what we're going to talk about next time. But here's how I want to close. Notice the key command that's given concerning spiritual gifts in verse 6. Do you see it? What is the command in verse 6? We can sum it up in two words. Use them. Use them. That, that's the command. That's this morning's message in two words. Or we could sum up verses 1 through 6 this way. In light of God's mercy, humble yourself and worship God by serving one another through your spiritual gifts. So to help you do that, four closing exhortations. They're fast. Just four exhortations. I'm just going to give them to you, okay? Number one, since God has called us to serve, let us repent of inner selfishness that causes us to put ourselves before others and our desires before God's commands. Let us repent of inner selfishness that causes us to put ourselves before others and our desires before God's commands. God knows what is best for us. Could it be that you have been ignoring His will and pursuing a lifestyle of serving yourself? Could it be that you have been trusting and following your own inclinations rather than what God has revealed for your life in the pages of the Bible? We need to repent as individuals. Perhaps we need to repent as families. Perhaps we need to repent as a church.
but let us cast selfishness aside. Number two, since God has gifted us to serve, whether we know our gift or not, let us give ourselves in service to one another. If glorifying God is our joy, if blessing others brings us happiness, then let us get busy in seeking to encourage and strengthen our brothers and sisters in every way possible. Let us resolve before we walk out those doors this morning to be sacrificial, to find joy, and denying ourselves for the benefits of others. Number three, let us devote ourselves to prayer Asking God for even more gifting and more grace that we might be an even better orchestra working together together to play the glories of God in this world. Ultimately, it is the empowering of the Holy Spirit that makes a gift a gift. Unbelievers can serve. Unbelievers can be generous. It is the Spirit of God working in the heart of a Christian and then coming and putting His special benediction on that gift that makes the effect have eternal, life-changing, God-glorifying value. We're the instruments, but everything depends on the blessing of the Spirit. So Mount Hermon, let us pray earnestly and persistently and fervently for the Spirit's work among us. Let us cry out for the Spirit's power as we love each other. And then fourth and finally, let us constantly seek for harmony in the way we use our gifts. Let us never be boastful or arrogant about our gifts, but quick to work with others who are gifted in different ways. A well-gifted orchestra can still sound terrible if they're not following the same beat, if they're not all playing the same piece of music. Let us live our lives together following the same standard, the Bible, for the same purpose, to do all to the glory of God. And this way our gifts will come together and result in something that is, that is beautiful and harmonious and serves God peop, God's people and the glory of His name. Amen? Let's pray.